Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to freaking rip it up in sunny Cincinnati. New Top 100 2022 NFL Draft Board. There's a new QB1. Kyle Hamilton, the number two overall player, safety for Notre Dame. Evan Neal cracks the top five off of the tackle for Alabama. Going to go over all of that and a college football week four review. Some risers and fallers in the 2022 NFL Draft. And at the back end of the show, interview with top five 2022 NFL Draft prospect, Michigan Edge, Aiden Hutchinson. Absolute treat. Let's get it. Yes, I'm wearing this jersey to South Bend. I'm going to. You're going to be the only one with yourself. the crew, with the crew that's going to be in Dame Gear because we rep. You see, we rep the five one three. You can drive yourself up there. You can <laughs> figure out your own way to South Bend if that's going to be the case. I get these tickets for you guys, and you're paying me by sharing for Cincinnati. Oh, what do you mean you some... get the? Oh, I guess you did get them at face value. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun game. Maybe you can convince me to wear the Dame jersey I got, but right now. I'm leaning Travis Kelsey 18, and I think I have to. Cincinnati favored by two in that game. Are you betting Dame? Uh, no, I'm not betting Dame. Uh, I, I've said all year that Cincinnati's the much better team. Uh, I thought that was the case against Indiana when they ended up winning by, what, two scores there. Uh, I just I don't trust Notre Dame to be able to move the ball. Uh, I flat out don't. I was there in-house last week watching them get owned <laughs> by Wisconsin's defense and struggled to do anything offensively, even though they put up 41 points. Three of those were non-offensive scores. So... Yeah, I, I, I think two is a soft line there. Even even in really Notre Dame Stadium, I would bet the other side. I was surprised when it opened at two, Cincinnati favorite on the road in South Bend. That betters did not bet it down to Notre Dame favorite because I mean Notre Dame at home. I was surprised by that. I thought more people would be jumping on board with they've the watched Notre Dame apparently. But, <laughs> I mean, the, also it, the quarterback injury, right? Like, I mean, how 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 yeah. battered is Jack Cohn? Um, honestly, I'm not sure it matters with the way he played last week. So we shall. <laughs> Could matter more if the backups play. Um, reminder that PFF tailgate is going to South Bend. Make sure to hit us up. We got a lot of fans in Chicago. Hit us up in South Bend. Make sure to follow PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter. If you do, you can leave messages in the DMs to get on our mailbag episode on Thursdays. Getting into this one, can we get a Monday night football recap? Jalen Hurts did not look all that great defensively, there were some lapses outside of maybe Javon Hargrave. Hargrave continues to go on a tear. Only one player in the NFL along the interior defensive line has a better pass rushing grade than Javon Hargrave, and that's Aaron Donald. That's how good he's been this year. Had a strip sack in this one that Fletcher Cox recovered for a touchdown, but that was kind of the lone bright spot for this Eagles team. Offensively, they struggled to get anything going, and defensively, Dak Prescott ripped him up. Yeah, that game wasn't really close. Like, it really wasn't. Um, it, it took a maybe blown call at the goal line to take away a touchdown from Dallas and then mm -hmm. a fumble in their own end zone to give a touchdown to the Eagles to keep it a 20-point game. Fair. You know, so it was really not – the Eagles were just overmatched on both sides of the ball, and it was kind of the issues we talked about with Hurts. Like that pick in the end zone or near the end zone right at the one-yard line or whatever was just an awful throw. A throw you can't, you can't underthrow a guy by that much. And, yeah, Rager didn't help him out by playing a little defense. But, mm -hmm. man, uh, the both picks, in my opinion, were pretty rough 
and really cost Eagles that game. I, I love how well Trayvon Diggs is getting received in the media so far. Only player in the NFL with three interceptions or an interception in every game so far this season. Obviously jumped that speed out for uh, pick six in this one. How impressed have you been with Trayvon Diggs' second year development? Yeah, I mean, he's always, even still, he is a boomer bust type of cornerback. Mm -hmm. He is that guy who you're going to live with giving up big plays because when he when he wins on a ball or when he wins on a route, it's a pick, it's a pass breakup, it's him taking the guy out of the sort of out of the progression at the line of scrimmage. Like he is capable of those high end plays that eh, you can give up in today's day and age. Like you're going to give up points. No one's going to be a sh complete shutdown corner. So you live with the lows of Trayvon Diggs for pick sixes like that. He was also super chirpy against Devontae Smith, super physical at the line of scrimmage. There's a rep if you watch. I don't think Devontae Smith was targeted on the route, but he lines up in press coverage, and right at the snap, literally jumps across the line of scrimmage and like punches him in the chest, and Devontae Smith kind of gets blown off the route. It was uh, pretty impressive from Trayvon Diggs being that physical and also chirping a bit against his former teammate. That was insane that on the man, if you were watching the Manicast, you had an Alabama quarterback throwing to an Alabama wide receiver and getting picked by an Alabama cornerback with Nick Saban on yeah. the broadcast, which was, I mean, just the state of Alabama football. I mean, that Manning cast lineup, by the way, LeBron James, I know. Nick Saban, uh, that Matthew Stafford. I mean, that was an unreal you know, crew. And Chris Long, to kind of finish, probably was the least notable of them all. But still, like that was an un unreal crew. And I think the Manning cast continues to get better every single week. I'm, I'm a big fan. How are they pulling that, that many guests? Like, I mean, he's people have to be shelling out cheddar. Well, I was going to say, pe no, people have to be reaching out saying, like, I want to get on that because Maybe. it's... I don't see why, like, I think people would watch no matter who the guest lineup is. But I think there must be some interest from outside parties being like, let me get on that for the... I, I will say this, volume. and I think this is going to make people upset. The Manning cast is a fantastic broadcast for diehard football fans. People who don't need to be handheld by the comment, you know, commentators... Yeah. To watch the football game because if you but but if you don't know football that well there's not a lot of there's not play-by-play -play at all <laughs> there's no play-by-play -play, very little color yeah. on the actual plays being made to where i still think that as much as everyone loves the manning cast and everyone's throwing support at the manning cast i only think it's it's ever going to be like this kind of side piece until like there's actual play i mean the standard fans not watching that i mean the average fans not watching that they don't really they they want i think in my opinion to have actual analysis of the game or at least like be made more aware of what's going on I guess if you don't know football at all, mm -hmm. which I mean, even if you know it at an average level, I mean, that's a high percentage of football fans. And we just know the rules, though. That has to be a superior broadcast, in my opinion, because it's not like you're getting much info from a normal broadcast anyways. They're literally just telling you, like, here's a penalty. Just... Here's a X, Y, Z. Like, they're not actually explaining how those things work. And if they do, sometimes they get it fucking wrong you know fair i guess what you're missing maybe in the play-by-play -play is just the energy of the call and if you're listening to that the only person that matters is gus johnson yeah. gus johnson's the guy or i guess and al michael sorry chris al michaels too al michaels a legendary play-by-play -play commenter all right let's go ahead and get into this 2022 nfl draft board a sensational piece here mm. i wanted to read off the top 10 players and kind of go over a handful of those names maybe some of the surprises that have jumped inside the top 10 or even moved up inside the top 10 still at number one overall is Kayvon Thibodeau the Oregon edge defender at number two no surprises there by the way he's also the number one picked player number one overall in PFS mock draft simulator so far this year mock draft simulator Kayvon Thibodeau the highest like you know highest picked player at number one overall number two though safety Kyle Hamilton up to number two that's the highest ranked safety you've probably ever put, right? I mean, that, that's got to be the highest safety on yeah. any board so far. I mean, we had Derwin James as a top five player. It was probably the last time we had a safety in the top five. 
back in those 2018. Yeah, 2018 sounds right. Um, <laughs> but since then, no, I haven't had a safety in the top. Probably maybe in the, I don't think we've had one in the top 10. It's just been some weak safety classes though as well. So yeah, Kyle Hamilton, we've talked about him enough at this point, but that dude is a different animal at safety position. You're not, you're not saying Kyle Hamilton's better than Derwin James, are you? No, it's just different classes begat different draft boards. Mm-hmm. Derwin was in class with, gosh, I think just behind Quinn Nelson, um, a couple quarterbacks back in 2018, Baker and Sam Darnold. So I think that's why he wasn't. It's just that if there were quarterbacks worthy of being the number one overall pick, I think that's the biggest thing here. We put him at number one overall. It's yeah. not that we're saying that, you know, for when we have Baker Mayfield ahead of Derwin James, we don't, we're not saying that Baker Mayfield is better for his respective position than Derwin James. We're saying that if I need a quarterback, I'm fucking taking Baker Mayfield because that's going to impact my team way more yeah. than a guy like Derwin James. Which I think that right there speaks to, I guess, how unnerving or unsettling this quarterback class is because yes. you have seven non quarterbacks ahead of the first quarterback on your big board right now, which I don't think we've ever had that many players ahead of the first quarterback in a long time, especially because PFF, I think more so than other media outlets and probably even teams, factors in positional value into their big boards so much more yeah. than others do. Uh, number th- you know, so uh, number three, Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback of LSU. He's been a consensus top five player on everyone's draft board probably since his true freshman year. You know, ranked first in PFF coverage grade as a true freshman at LSU. One of the freakier athletes in all of college football. That's not going to change anytime soon. Talk about freaky athletes, though. Number four, offensive tackle Evan Neal, Alabama. I remember when we were first talking about him. I think it was either preseason or right after week one. I said, man, I don't know. This kid's looking like a top five, top ten lock. You're like, ah, we'll see. We've seen now. I think Evan Neal probably entering that top five, top ten lock situation. Okay, top ten, I can give you. Okay. Top five is always difficult to really say where the needs are going to end up. Especially with QBs, yeah. Yeah. So top five player though, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Evan Neal's a monster. Evan Neal's an absolute monster. Number five. He's also on this podcast. Soon to be friend of the show. Once you listen to that interview, edge defender, Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan. Now the interview, I'm going to tease a little bit here. He got to Michigan as a true freshman at 17 years old at 260 pounds and then worked up to 280 and played around 280 in his first you know, freshman and sophomore seasons. And then this past year, he's playing at a career low 260 right now, mm. feeling built, feeling fast. And if you turn on his tape, he's exploding off the ball better than I think you've seen in previous years. He's beating people on the backside of runs. And then you look at some of the Bruce Feldman's freaks list numbers, you know, low 4.63 cone, 404 short shuttle, the 135-pound, what is it, the, the super lift or something he's got going on. He's got some crazy, crazy numbers. And this guy, as humble as ever, too, the interview was fantastic. Yeah, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, probably after the Washington game, about how now he's an edge guy. He, he used to be kind of inside outside versatile guy he had that extra weight no yeah but now that's when he was up at 280 260 he has played almost exclusively on the edge this year and is at his best looks at his best there while playing he's been you know snap for snap the best defensive lineman in the country so far this season with obviously Kayvon Thibodeau being hurt and the guy behind him on this list not quite just being as dominant but pretty close in his own right after the recording Gave me a cheeky no comment when I brought up how 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 well he looked against Jackson Kirkland and what went in that game. He's like, you know what? Good player, no comment. It was uh, pretty incredible. He's a cool guy. All right, six, DeMarvin Leal, the Texas A&M defensive lineman. I think of all these players so far, and I know we brought up Kayvon Hamilton. Can I say Leal's the most hashtag fun to watch? I do think his his tape and what he does as 
big as he is, yeah. is some of the most absurd shit I've ever seen. Yeah, so Hutchinson's lost weight. Leal is still 290. Like, that guy is still <laughs> a monster of a defensive end. It was still an impactful guy this past weekend against Arkansas. We'll actually uh, get to that a little later. But, yeah, I think he's, like I said, he's not too far behind Aiden Hutchinson in just terms of down-to-down playmaking ability i'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later we're going to focus on the 2022 draft board for a while but there's a lot of edge players inside your top 50 you know, a lot of very talented edge class coming out for a year where we had you know quitty pay jalen phillips etc demarvin leal on uh, texas a&m's website listed at six foot four 290 83.9 pass rushing grade so far 11 total pressures on the season for the big boy um next here number seven kair elam florida cornerback that way if you look at any metric on pff.com right now, which you can get if you subscribe to one of our college football subscriptions. Kyrie Elam is ranking towards the top in yards allowed per coverage snap, passer rating allowed, PFF coverage grade. He has been phenomenal for what is now what? A top 15 Florida team in college football? Yeah, 54 yards all year. 10 targets, 54 yards, four catches. And honestly, he had a penalty, two pass breakups, had a penalty against Alabama. That was, in my opinion, a poor call. Should have been three pass breakups because that was a great play that he made in that game. Yeah, Elam's... Not, uh, I don't think he's too far behind Derek Stingley as a prospect. Derek Stingley is obviously kind of in zones here. You feel very good about him. But Elam, very much a top 10 sort of cornerback prospect, in my opinion. We've talked a ton about this cornerback class. Another guy that's on a tear. He doesn't crack the top 10, but for Washington, Trent McDuffie. He has been phenomenal this season as well. I think he's a guy that a lot of people are going to like as a first-round type of prospect in 2022's draft. Finally, we get to the first quarterback on the board here, and it's not Spencer Rattler. It's not Sam Howell. It's Malik Willis, Liberty quarterback, one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the country this year, a guy that kind of built like a running back and, and plays like a running back in some ways, but you've seen some development from him as a passer this year, and you spoke to it a handful of episodes ago. You know, if you're going to chase high ceiling or high potential or guy that's going to give you the most in the NFL or could give you the most in the NFL. Malik Willis is your guy. And that's why he's your number one guy. Yeah. I just don't love the quarterback class. Like it's not, there's no guy that I really feel strongly about being worthy of that number one overall pick right now. That's why I obviously sits down there at eighth because I said those seven guys ahead of them, I feel are very talented top 10 sort of prospects. I'm, you know, I'm picking, willing to pick all those guys inside of that. At this point, I'm not sure there's, I think that's it. Like we talked about that blue chip tier mm-hmm. of players in this class. I think that's it for me. And so then at that point, Willis can sneak in at number eight, whatever. But I still think that's kind of low for a top quarterback for us in any given year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, I mean, there is still opportunity for him to rise up. There's also opportunity for some of these other quarterbacks to go back and forth since it is such a close class. But I think early sign. I mean, this time last year we had what Trevor Lawrence one, Justin Fields two, Zach Wilson top ten. Like it was, you know, comfortable. I and mean, Mac, Mac Jones was still even a top thirty, top forty player on PFF's draft board. It was obvious that yeah. this quarterback class, or at least last year's, was very talented and highly regarded. This year, Malik Willis at number eight overall. Number nine here, Tyler Linderbaum, a your guy, big on Tyler Linderbaum, the center for Iowa, one of the highest graded interior offensive linemen in the country. Yeah. So. I- I guess he's a blue chip center, in my opinion, but that's center, interior offensive line, not a position you're just like, we are going to say, hey, draft that guy top 10. So that's why I said that earlier. But he's number 10, number nine on draft court because that's shit how good he is mm-hmm. for, for his position. So yeah, I think he's about as safe a center as we've seen PFF era. Finally, at 10, quarterback Sam Howell, 
UNC. Off to a 2-2 two and two start for UNC. But we said it going into this year. It's going to be so difficult for him to maintain high-end success, specifically from a, from a numbers perspective or a Heisman perspective, mm-hmm. with how much they lost offensively. Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, all not there for UNC this year. And they've suffered because of that. I mean, this offense, this supporting cast is objectively bad. And Sam Howell is struggling because of it. I think that's... If you're drafting quarterback, I almost think that's good for his long-term development at the collegiate level to not have as much talent around you, to not fall into that trap of it being, I don't want to say easy, obviously playing quarterback is never easy, but that trap of saying, you know, I only throw it when guys are open. Because a lot of schools, a lot of teams, when you are loaded with talent, you only can't throw when guys, you, you can wait to see guys who are wide open to throw it. So I do think that him playing with a little lesser talent, the wide receiver position, Numbers aren't going to look as good, obviously, but I think if you're talking about like guys helping him towards the draft, it's probably good for him. Still has a cannon as yeah. well. I mean, he has easily the most impressive deep throw I've seen from any quarterback this season. We looked at that on the way back from, I don't remember what tailgate we were coming from. They're all starting state. to blur together. People in the office are like, hey, how is this? I was like, dude, honestly, I'm losing my mind here. There's a lot going on with these tailgates. South Bend should be awesome. And then after that, we start to hit the flights. We've got Baton Rouge. we got... Um, Tuscaloosa, Knoxville, going to be some wild, wild times coming up here for PFF tailgate. Before Thank we get God, to, I don't want to do driving. Driving can be brutal, and that's that Sunday morning drive back can be. Dude, the drive back fun. you did from Penn State will go down in history as one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. Going right from 11 p.m., getting back to Cincinnati at 6 a.m. I was starting to hallucinate by the end. I'll be honest. Dude, I was seeing things. Dangerous game. That's a dangerous game. Before we get into the t- um or. Now that I mean, we talked to quarterbacks, Malik Willis at number eight, Sam Howell at number 10. I wanted to focus a little bit more on the quarterback class as a whole. I know you say you don't like it, but outside of the top 10, Spencer Rattler now dropped down to 15 overall, the Oklahoma quarterback that's been a roller coaster by all <laughs> senses of the word so far this season. And then sneaky here, Matt Corral, the leader in Heisman odds right now, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. He's the 27th overall player on PFF's draft board and has a legit opportunity to jump on a rocket in term, in front of you know national opinion if he does go in to uh, go beat Alabama. They're 14-point dogs this weekend against Alabama. He's the 27th-ranked player. Then you have Tanner McKee, who is going to be on this podcast. He'll be on the Thursday episode. And Carson Strong, Nevada quarterback at 46. Tanner McKee at 40. Start with Rattler. Is all hope lost for him being your number one quarterback, or is this still something a, a situation that could fluctuate? No, so I think that's the biggest thing here is we are still – non-conference for you know the majority they're still evaluating so i mean malik willis has played one of the tougher tests he'll face all year in syracuse which i thought he passed i I thought he looked good against them in that game carson strong has kind of faced his toughest test and it was a little up and down i didn't see quite the progression i would have hoped for still kind of a first read majority kind of guy but you still have malik willis still have mississippi on a schedule late in the season and for how rattler corral mckee basically still have your whole conference schedules which is what you're going to the tape you're going to kind of go back to for the most part anyway. So I do think there is a lot of possibility to change up this order. It will be in flux for sure over the course of the season, but guys, they're going to have to step up all all these guys, you know, like I I just said, no one's really playing down in down out consistently. Excellent football. Matt Corral, probably the closest to that at this point, but even then I'm going to need, to see it, he's going to have the whole SEC schedule basically to prove himself. So this is a influx 
but not a great quarterback class at the moment, in my opinion. Give the people more on Tanner McKee, the Stanford yeah. quarterback that wasn't even ranked in your, what, top 100 before the season, but has mm-hmm. really, really stood out for Stanford so far this year. Now the number 40 overall player, also a guy that's going to be on this show on Thursday. So McKee, I'll, I'll just compare him to last year's Stanford quarterback, whose name is now Davis Mills? Davis Mills, the neck. Uh, <laughs> Davis, the neck Mills. In that they were both, they were both highly rated recruits, both have good, not excellent sort of arm strength. I think McKee is probably a little bit stronger arm. And both will get categorized as probably not not the most fleet of foot. Like they're not playmakers. They're not gonna you're not gonna involve them in the running game. They are pocket passers. But given that, McKee is a much better athlete, in my opinion. Like he is a much more coordinated. You see him with his feet, his ability to move in the pocket, his ability to throw when things aren't perfect around him, and his ability to throw on the move is much, much better than Davis Mills was, in my opinion. Um, now, obviously, that Stanford team is not great. They got kind of blown out week one by Kansas State. They lost this past week against, uh, gosh, who did they lose this past week? Well, they lost this past week. But I thought even in that game, Tanner McKee looked good. You see a really live arm. You see really natural thrower of the football in terms of the arm angles he can throw from. And I think the biggest thing, and I was saying this to you this weekend, is you see it on – whether it's RPOs, screens, just like the real easy layups, his ball placement on those is always pinpoint. There's no, there's no throwing it to the back shoulder on a wide bubble screen of a cor- of a running back and making them kind of turn around for it. None of that. His ball placement underneath is pinpoint. And while he hasn't taken a ton of shots down the football field yet, he's four games into his career. I think that accuracy is going to continue to shine through as we see him throughout the season. Last but not least on this quarterback crew here, the last one ranked inside your top 50, Carson Strong of Nevada. I think a lot of people were highlighting him as this Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow candidate who could come in, maybe wasn't no more overall pick, but could ascend. Mm-hmm. Has not ascended up your draft board in that way. Why not? Yeah, like I said, he's not – he's kind of been a guy who we questioned his pocket presence heading into the season. Could he operate from a less than stellar pocket, from a you know, quote-unquote NFL pocket? And could he go through progressions more in this Nevada offense that's, you know, not not a high-level conceptually offense? And I think those two things he just has kind of struggled with. He, he has not shown the improvement I was hoping for. So he was a guy who was in the 40s on the list preseason, and he's kind of still the same guy. And, again, some of that is you just don't get the – you're not going to have that sort of coaching at the college level. Like the – you're not going to be forced to do a lot of those things. And so you don't practice those and you don't do them as well. So I do think that there's still a ton of talent there. I love his arm talent. It has one of the most aesthetically pleasing releases in the country, has one of the strongest arms in the country, but it's just kind of a little something missing. He is just a project at this point. I want to get to some high level takeaways from this, you know, kind of draft board process or this draft board update. But before we do so, gotta let you guys know week three of football may be in the book. So it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fancy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF. This week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. High-level takeaways. You have here quarterback class stinks. We've kind of already hit on that. Mm. But your number two takeaway, running back class also, also not great. Yeah. I. Not only is there not a guy who I think is going to even be in that first round sort of Najee Harris, Travis Etienne conversation that we saw. Obviously, we're not drafting even those guys in the first round. But I, there might be like a one-second round. This might be one of those years where there's just not even a guy worth – taking you know 45 overall 50 overall where you often see a lot of running backs sort of a run on running backs go kind of like two years ago in the deandre swift you know jk dobbins uh, all those guys going in that sort of area i'm not sure there's one Brees hall is still the number one running back he still breaks tackles at about as high level as anyone in the country but i could see there being one through two rounds one or two backs going uh in this draft because guys like isaiah spiller have not looked nearly as good this year uh, and there really wasn't a lot going into this year. There have been a couple risers on the PFF draft board. Kenneth Walk from Michigan State cracks top 100. Zach Charbonnet from UCLA cracks top 100. But man, not just not a lot of guys who are kind of that total package bell cow sort of backs that you would love to, or like that NFL teams love drafting that highly. I'll argue, I've said this, I think, on a handful of previous episodes, but the bell cow back, the three down back, are we even chasing that anymore? If you're a team, do you even the want... The NFL does. I mean, the NFL does. I know, but would you, if you were running a team, chase even a three down back? I don't know if I want... I want the Niners model. I want just speed, 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 a rotation of talent. Obviously, they're battling injuries a bit. And have well, even Sermon. they drafted Trey Sermon, who's like that kind of mold. True. But I, 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 I do agree, though. You want that the four... Shit, the Najee Harris, the four six five running back is not in vogue anymore. Like yeah. I wouldn't want that in my offense whatsoever because there's just less you can do with them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want that at any position. You know, like I don't want a tight end that runs a four eight. You, you, <laughs> you want guys that at anywhere, any given moment, can immediately stretch the field because that just puts so much stress on defenses. And then we keep harping big plays, explosiveness. That's kind of that's what's winning in the NFL. Yeah, I mean today. the four five four five five plus running back. Even if he's a three down, you know, six, one, two, three. I mean, I just don't know if I want that. One, you know, if, if you're looking at how, you know, the NFL is currently drafting those players that go too high. And two, you know, too high in terms of the draft. And two, I'd rather honestly chase speed and chase a variety of skill sets as you've seen other backfields be built that way. On to the next takeaway you have here. And I think I kind of hinted at it, but this edge class is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we got... Three of the top six, if you if you call DeMarvin Leal an edge, which, I mean, shit, that's where he plays. 290 yeah. pounds, obviously could play inside in the NFL, but I think that's uh, teams are obviously going to evaluate him first as an edge because that's the easiest projection, you know? Uh, and then you have two more in the top 15, in Kingsley and Negbury of South Carolina, George Karloftis of Purdue. And then you have four more in the top 30, in Drake Jackson, in Anna Anderson, Drake ja- of Georgia, Drake Jackson of USC, Nick Benito of Oklahoma, and Maje Sanders of Cincinnati. I don't know what that is. Add all those up. That's how many are in the top third. It is a loaded class. I got put six in the last mock draft I did, and that could even be low for this edge defender class because, again, everyone wants everyone wants those guys. That's the premium position. They go highly, and 
This one has a lot of them. And a few more guys who are producing and looking good on NFL, excuse me, college football field than we saw last year. I'm excited to get to our college football week four takeaways because a handful of the players that you mentioned already kind of popped off. We have some kind of significant risers here. I had in mind um, some highlights. I mean, three receivers all played really well this past week. Traylon Burks continues to look really impressive. The Arkansas wide receiver, also a friend of the show. Jahan Dotson's one of the highest graded receivers in the Power Five, the Penn State wideout. And also Garrett Wilson turned in another stellar performance for Ohio State. But let's start with a non-receiver. Utah linebacker. You highlighted this guy preseason. Yeah. You just, you know, Devin Lloyd, the Utah linebacker, is the best linebacker in the country. Maybe the favorite to win the Buckets Award this past week. Seven pressures on 18 pass rushing snaps. A stellar, stellar week for Lloyd for the Utes. Yeah, he's a very, very productive football player and sort of a unique skill set in that he's not he's not going to run a 4-5. Like, he's probably going to run like a 4-6-5, but he takes on blocks so well. He's long at six foot three, two thirty five. And in this game, seven pressures against Washington State on 18 pass rushing snaps. And those were not, oh, unblocked, coming around on a stunt. I think he beat the center one-on-one about three times as a blitzer. And that's that's a skill set every team in the NFL is looking for. It is not only, you know, there's two very distinct aspects. You can get away by not being a great coverage, you know, sort of linebacker in the NFL if you are a high-level blitzer. is what we kind of kept saying about Micah Parsons. It's like, if you draft Micah Parsons and don't use him as a blitzer, you're just doing it wrong. If you're dropping him into coverage and expecting him to be Luke Keekley, you're doing it wrong because what that can do in a blitz-heavy scheme is so dangerous because blitzes just get home so much quicker or have the potential to get home so much quicker than just so you know an obvious four-man rush, even if you are winning. So I think Devin Lloyd now, again, doesn't have the tools necessarily to be a round one guy, but I think he's going to be a round two sort of linebacker where you're like, oh, how was he so productive in the NFL? That's just because he didn't have necessarily the high-end tools, but that guy can play. 6'3", 235, coming off a 92.3 PFF grade against Washington State, a 79.8 grade against San Diego State, and a loss, by the way, Mike. San Diego State can't lose this season. They're not going to lose this and season. And Notre Dame can't either. Yeah. <laughs> it's the undefeated Dame. pod right here. That's true. That's true. It's an undefeated pod. It is an undefeated pod. On to... Brian Asamoah. Yeah. Talk about a riser. This guy coming off a really big week. So Oklahoma linebacker, he's 6'1", 230, and is, he's in the mix for the most athletic linebacker in the country. This guy flies left and right in the football field. Now, has never necessarily, he's kind of in that Darren Lee-esque category of Uh-oh. such a high-end athlete. But man, his balance at times is an issue, has some has had tackling problems in the past. Week one against Tulane, he missed three tackles on four attempts. So this guy uh, oftentimes out of control, but in this game, not a single missed tackle against West Virginia. Uh, seven stops between the run game and the pass game. He was wrapping up in space consistently. Now he's kind of going to be that tweener. He's honestly more profiles better to safety, in my opinion, than actual linebacker right now sort of Jeremy Chin-esque in that regard at, at his size of 6'1", 228. But the NFL will be looking long and hard at this guy with how just twitched up he is at the linebacker position. Oklahoma, reason to watch defense, which you kind of love to see. Traylon Burks, I mentioned him a little bit. He had five catches for 163 and a touchdown in this one. Well, I think it's been super impressive for him. And I, I remember getting flamed on Twitter for saying he's down five pounds and feeling a little bit more spry, but he does look faster this season. And when you can do that, the size he is six foot three, two twenty, that is super impressive. Because 
you always talk about, I want separators. I want separators. These big contested catch guys, great for college, not for the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think Burks is developing into more than just a big contested catch type for Arkansas and actually a guy that can separate and win after the catch. Yeah. So in this game, I mean, the the 85-yard touchdown he had is just a go ball. And he's four yards and four yards separation on just a go ball where it's just because he was faster. And when you have that level of speed, it's kind of like the DK Metcalf thing. When you're that fast, when when you're moving 225 pounds in a, I, I, I'd put Burks probably in the low four four kind of guy. It's just guys bounce off you. You you have a lot of momentum behind you, and cornerbacks that are, you know, 20 pounds lighter than him are going to not slow him down. So I think you see that with Burks, and he's winning more this year. The biggest thing with him, why he's on this riser list, a little more from the outside. That was a one-on-one route from the outside when he's almost been primarily a slot guy, and most of his production has been from the slot in his career. Have a couple more risers to highlight before we get to the followers list here, but I have to break. I have to break the segment here. No, what is happened? this? Is it? Am I crazy? I don't think I've ever seen this before. <laughs> the University of Arizona football team has tweeted out a graphic calling for walk-on tryouts. Oh, nice. That. I don't know if I've seen that. Have you seen that before from Power 5 program? That's tough, dude. That's tough. October 12th, if you are in or near the Arizona Stadium, 6 o'clock, walk-on tryouts. That is a rough situation for the University of Arizona football. Desperate for talent. Desperate for talent. That reminds me of a story. Um, I was at Notre Dame. They were a very good women's basketball program. Obviously, they went to the finals twice, I think, when I was there. And then this was my senior year, I want to say, when they lost to Brittany Griner. Maybe even junior they lost to Brittany Grinder out if you remember Brittany Grinder, the like six seven Baylor. Yeah. She's center. in the WNBA now, dominating. Now the WNBA. But I mean, she just owned them in that game in the finals. They had no answer. Literally two days later, I'm at the rec center and there is a official Notre Dame thing on like the pamphlet board where of all the advertisements saying, Any girls six foot and over, please try out for the Notre Dame women. Wow. Basketball. And they were good. Yeah. And they that were was just a, looking for big. They just needed someone to replicate. <laughs> A six foot seven. Uh, I don't think they found one, but <laughs> but, I, but I can see why. Like it shits that when you, especially when it's like an outlier like that, if you have one. But I just always thought that was hilarious. I'm like, damn, that's when you know it's down bad when you just don't have the size to match up with the Brittany Griner. I don't know if it's a size issue for Arizona, talent issue, but uh, I might have to click into this trial packet, maybe make a flight out because I'm coming. I'm coming. Bear down. Bear down. Uh, all right, a couple more risers here. Zachary Carter, edge defender for the Florida Gators, an 86.4 pass rushing grade on the season. He has two pressures in all but one game so far this year, three pressures against Tennessee in week four. Yeah, so he's similar body type-wise to DeMarvin Leal. And then he's an edge defender, but he's 285 pounds and six foot four. And so they'll even kick him inside a three-tech a little bit more than Leal, actually. But four, every single game has been an above-average grade so far this season. He's played you know, Alabama offensive line. Played Tennessee offensive line this past week, eighty nine point six overall in the season, thirteen pressures. He just looks far more physical at the point of attack than he did last season. And you know, he's a senior. You'll see this guy at either the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl. They're going to have to do. They're going to be duking it out for this guy because he has really stepped his game up in a big, big way. Goes from sixty five point one overall grade last year to now eighty nine point six. Different player altogether. Charles Cross, also playing well, improved significantly from last year, played over 700 snaps at left tackle for Mississippi State in 2020, just a 64.4 grade men. So far this year, 300-plus snaps played at left tackle and 81.0 
uh, overall grade for Charles Cross, six foot five, three ten. Also has an eighty-two point seven run blocking grade. Only two penalties on the year. Cross, another riser on the draft board. Yeah, there were a number of guys heading into this season at the tackle position that I would qualify as athletic projects. So Cross, obviously being one of them, uh, I would throw Rasheed Walker from Penn State into that mix. Zion Nelson from Miami, uh, maybe even Daniel Falale from Minnesota, like guys who you really hadn't seen it yet at a high level, but it's all there to yeah. do it at the well, NFL. Well, for Falalele, it's all there. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's more than all. It's like all times 1.2. <laughs> Fall but, all there. Yeah. No, that was terrible. Eh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, take the fact. I'm going to leave. Quinn, delete that. Uh, and, and then Cross, of all those guys, has taken it to another level. Like he has actually shown improvement as a pass protector. 44 pressures allowed last season. Obviously, that's Mike Leach's offense. A little... You know, 44 pressures, but he's 574 pass blocking snaps. That's like more than a full season most tackles get in the NFL. This year, only seven pressures through four games. And against LSU this past week, 71 pass blocking snaps, only two pressures allowed on an island for a lot of those. And sometimes you see a lot of three-man rushes with Mike Leach's offense. That's kind of the MO for beating him. But he's still going one-on-one on the outside when that is the case. And I, I thought he held up really well, had some – you know, lock down some spin moves that are always, you know, I love seeing office tackles go up against spin moves because it forced them to make adjustments on the fly, see what their balance looks like. And I thought he did really well. So Cross has shot up into a top 40 player now on the PFF. I mean, and he hasn't even gotten into some of the better competition he'll face, yeah. you know, for Mississippi State. I think he has a lot of opportunity in the future schedule here to put on some good tape. I and mean, you start to dominate his highest run blocking grade so far this year came against Memphis. Let's see him put it on against some of the FCC competition. I think that's important note. I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, but a lot of these prospects, we're talking about risers and followers and early draft board. We've barely scratched the surface on in-conference play. This is where, you know, boys become men and, 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 you know, these late draft eligible players actually turn into top 100, top 50 draft prospects. It'll be interesting to see how Charles Cross develops over the course of the rest of the season. Followers here, your guy, Kyron Williams, running back Notre Dame, five foot nine, 200, had a solid year last year. I think he cracked the top 100 for PFF's draft board preseason. Mm -hmm. Now just a 68.8 grade on the year for Notre Dame, a faller on your draft board. Yeah. Now, the situation hasn't been great, obviously. We've the offensive about line has been horrendous. Line. Yeah, we've talked about how bad Notre Dame's offensive line is, but you still got to overcome it to some meaningful degree. And the worry with Kyron is he is so slightly built, or like he's 5'9, 199, like he just doesn't have the mass to him to really take on a linebacker and fall forward. He's only averaging 1.4 yards after contact per attempt. Like, yeah, it's bad. Or excuse me, that was in this past game against Wisconsin. Yeah, it's bad, but you have to. You still have to. He's still not making more than what's there, and that's the worry with me. Three point seven yards per attempt this so far this season. Uh, that is pretty disastrous for a college running back. Uh, there's some things to like about him, but I think he's kind of just like we're talking about running backs. We kept talking about like you have to have an explosive element to you. You have to have something to hang your hat on. I think Kylan's just kind of a guy in a number of ways. I mean, only averaging, you know, 2.77 yards after contact per attempt, too. That's where, I mean, I remember Cam Akers for Florida State. You know, had one of the worst offensive lines when he played there. But his yards after contact figures were absurd. I think he gained more than yeah. 80% of his yards after contact. He's still struggling behind that offensive line. Hasn't averaged more than, what, three yards per carry, or, you know, four yards per carry in any but two games, Toledo and Purdue. Need him to show up in a big way if he's going to get back on the risers list here. Next faller, Andrew Booth. Yeah. Didn't have a good game this past week for Clemson, the cornerback, but I still feel 
that I'm kind of in love with the way he plays cornerback position. He's a super physical player. When he's attacking downhill, he attacks with vengeance. I yeah. thought he looked really good in run defense and also on a handful of swing passes, but still got beat up a little bit. One of the lowest graded games of his, honestly, collegiate career. Yeah, so it's more about expectations. This Andrew Booth, you're expecting him to be a top 10, a possible top 10 yeah. sort of pick kind of guy with what his physical tools are. And in this one against NC State, gives up all five targets for 84, 82 yards. Or excuse me, not nine of 12 targets for 82 yards. It was all five targets a week before that. Um, and it's just he is a guy who we talked about preseason hadn't been tested. Mm-hmm. And you really don't know how a guy plays catch point, how he you know, is consistently, how his ability to break up passes until he really does get tested because he had you know, 220 coverage snaps in his career going into this year. And so I think we've seen that he's not quite at the level, in my opinion, of a Derek Stingley, uh, of a Kyrie Elam. Still a very, very good cornerback, but given up, you know, like I said, 82 yards and two scores to NC State, Mm, little, little worse tape. Saw a little bit of an, a monster in Emika Mezzi, the North Carolina State wide receiver. He's six foot three, two twelve. Fifteen targets, fourteen receptions, one hundred sixteen yards, and a touchdown in this game. A handful of those coming against Booth. We haven't talked about him a lot on this show, but he has graded well so far this season. Has looked pretty good in a handful of games. Only two drops on the year as well. Have you watched a lot of Mezzi, or is he even on your radar? have not watched all right well we're gonna have to get to some amezi tape later then i think we're gonna have to because he's grading well mike he's grading well and he's six foot three two twelve and he plays for nc state we're gonna find him nc state just upset clemson okay yeah. gonna have to add him to the list all right keaton slovis the last one here on the fallers list he's fallen from grace anthony trash on this show was picking slovis to be the number one overall selection he is falling from grace which you hate to see um, I think a lot of USC is falling from grace, if we're being honest. Maybe outside of Drake London, who currently leads the Power Five in currently leads the Power Five in all in receiving yards. I think he ranks second in uh, enforced missed tackles. But Slovis not having the same level of success. Yeah, this is it's gone south. You know, you expected career progression. It's what you hope to see. Get better every single year. Eliminate the throws where you just throw a dead center into a linebacker's chest. Well. That hasn't been the case, and they've honestly gotten worse. And now he's honestly in risk of losing his job. Not even just not being the number one overall pick, which I think the writing is on the wall for that. It's, does Jackson Dart replace him here by season's end with the way things are going against USC when you're losing to teams like Oregon State? And now I get that. You're going to say teams like Oregon State. Oregon State's solid this year. They look good. Do, do, you, do you think, as a, a USC fan... I can guarantee you they'd you know, like, so you don't you go ask cast Reggie them Bush. away like some group of five teams. I'm gonna say you go ask Reggie Bush, you go ask Matt Liner, you go ask USC alums from the past. You think they're happy with losing to Oregon they're State. They're not happy with losing to Stanford. Okay. Uh, oh, I mean like you can accept losing to Stanford, you can accept losing to but All they're right. You call for heads when you lose to Oregon State. I'm just saying that. That's a fucking fact of life. So, well, heads have been called already yeah. in you at I USC. Mean, so um, but four turnover worthy plays in this one. Uh no, numerous and ugly, ugly fashion. Three picks. It, it was just, he's just not. Yes, he's accurate. Yes, he does some nice things, but he has a very weak arm and continues to make ugly decisions with footballs. I, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about, you know, the weak arm discussion. I mean, we brought it up. Um, who was it? I think Jordan Palmer, who we talked about Joe Burrow a lot. And mm-hmm. if you don't have, you know, DJ Wungalele arm talent, you can still have success in the league if you make up for it in other places. Slovis isn't doing that. You know, Slovis is making these bonehead decisions. You're not seeing what you like. Um, you know, you're not seeing like what you, what you want from Slovis even with that weak arm. So making it up in other places, he is not. You don't. It does. It's not a death knell if you have a baby arm. 
see Joe Burrow, see some other quarterbacks in the NFL, but it does significantly hinder you. Same as like size, you know, all these different things. And if you're not like making it up objectively in other areas, it's going to be very difficult to overcome what is obviously a hinderment there. Hinderment, I don't think is a word. Mm. Uh, hindrance. Hindrance. Hinderment. <laughs> all right. Bus watch. Hinderment sounds like a gum that would be It's solid. Good. I've had it. Um, bus watch. CJ Henderson. We talked about it on the Monday episode, but my goodness. Traded for Dan Arnold in a third rounder. If that's not a bust for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't know what is. Yeah, I. at least you got something for him. You know, a lot of times guys will ride out bad picks. <clears throat> John Ross, obviously, most notably here in town, ninth overall pick, and they tried to ride it out. And when it, when it was quite obviously not going well in Cincinnati, I think there is something admirable. Admirable, maybe not the right word. Mm-hmm. But there is something to realizing when it's not going to go well. Realizing that when you need to cut your losses. Realizing that it's not guy's not going to have success here, whether it's you, him, whatever, and getting whatever you can in return. Like a third round is still valuable. Could be a very valuable pick in return for them. It could be a you know more going to be a top hundred pick for them. So that's still a guy that can add to your football team. But man, to turn a ninth overall pick, which in that draft was not like a. It's not the 2013 draft. It's this isn't draft that was bereft of talent there are guys that are impact players from that class to turn that into just a third rounder at this point like if you just not just a third rounder don't disrespect dan arnold okay dan arnold too but it's just and you had to give up a fifth back in return pretty rough that's just rough i mean it's definitely rough i think rough would be an understatement it's a must watch for sure i will say just the the guys all drafted behind them here so cj henderson goes nine jedrick wills 10 Sure. We would love Jedrick Yikes. Wilson Jaguars. Uh, Mackay Becton, 11. Henry Ruggs, 12. Tristan Wirfs, 13. Javon Kinlaw, 14. Javon Kinlaw, probably the first guy you get to that's like not making more of an impact mm-hmm. than C.J. Henderson was. Yeah, so. even Henry Ruggs surpassing C.J. Henderson after what was a rough rookie season for the old, former Alabama wideout. He's also, we haven't talked a lot about Ruggs. Ruggs is making some, in addition to getting separation down the field, I think he's made a handful of really impressive catches, too. Had that one contested snag against Xavier Howard, a toe-drag swag on the sideline in that game as well. I think there's been a His very— skills were great yeah. at Alabama. Uh, the the contorting's body to catch that, like, that wasn't a surprise for me. If you watch his tape at Alabama, I think he only had, like, a few drops in his entire college career. So that was never the case. So it was more just— Consistent route running. I think what's been evident for me watching Henry Ruggs tape back, John Gruden is doing a fantastic job of motioning him pre-snap and avoiding press. Right now, of all receivers with at least 60 routes against press, he has the lowest yards per out run. He is yeah. not, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's a death knell when he gets pressed, but he is something he struggled with. He struggled with physicality last year. I think a handful of analysts mentioned that. Motioning him pre-snap, getting him these free releases is super important to his, for him to get open, and now it's working. Yeah, Gruden has doubled his usage of pre-snap motion since he got to the NFL. And got it's kind NFL. of... Oh, okay, from when he started. Yeah, okay. So since so 2018, his first year, to now, it's uh-huh. doubled. And that is a way to get a guy a free release. Mm-hmm. If a guy's motioning across the formation at the snap, you're not going to press him. Like, it's just yeah. it's going to be like impossible when a guy runs 4 to try to get your hands on him. It's what the Chiefs do with Tyreek Hill. And even when... And it's a good way to keep defenses accountable for that speed or have to account for that speed because it can get you a favorable matchup. Like I said, if a guy runs a 4-2-9 and is guarded by a corner that runs a 4-6, that's a favorable matchup. You can't necessarily just go ahead and play man coverage 
and expect that to work out. So I, I mean, the the analytics have been done. The, re- the research has been done yeah. on how much you know pre-snap motion can help offenses. I think you even saw we're not know, breaking new ground here. Yeah, not breaking new ground. I think even, it was even mentioned with the with uh, the Packers Niners game on the broadcast about you know how much Shanahan, why Shanahan leverages it because he knows how much of advantage it gives him. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found interesting, and this is kind of a side comment, but talking about kind of cheat codes, but Nick Saban mentioning. I don't know why any offense in college or the NFL doesn't run every play out of no huddle. Why why does why don't they do it? It's absurd because it just doesn't give defenses an opportunity to adjust and like actually plan for things. I thought that was pretty interesting to hear from Saban that like no, how hard it is for defenses to adjust in the huddle. And when you look at some of the success that Jalen Hurts had in the Monday night game, and you even saw that with some of the rookie quarterbacks, when you start getting the no huddle, I mean, success that Jalen Hurts had, <laughs> it was definitely in that second half he put together one of the better drives of this so game. My face and, was just not... <laughs> Not about it there, but continue. I'm saying I thought that was interesting that Saban called out no huddle and how hard it is for defenses. I heard multiple broadcasters call that out. Yeah, I think it's also like quarterbacks think find it difficult too. Like the sort of mental break. It's kind of like a pitcher being asked to throw a pitch, get the ball back, throw a pitch again. Like you like the reset mm-hmm. mentally to then process what's going on with the defense as opposed to like if – it, it speeds up your process too as a quarterback that I think is a big thing that goes into it why they maybe um, some of them it. don't like it yet. but but Manning one of the Mannings brought up too that like it gives Nick Sirianni more time to talk to Jalen Hurts and look at the fucking defense like hey like this is what they're running yeah. you got to move this and this and I think that honestly with quarterbacks help. that are yeah. struggling with that part of it could be kind of helpful um bust watch the other bust the hall of fame bust mm-hmm. this one's obvious go ahead and kick it we off. didn't we didn't so we did the whole episode about guys on each team that are going to be in the hall of fame and we didn't bring this guy up even though he is a goddamn hall of fame absolutely lock. and that is on us and it's justin tucker absolute bust watch mm-hmm. that ball is probably in the hall of fame as we speak it has the to six, be six yarder because that was insane but man just like all the all the data and all the sort of charts we do about kickers, all the research we've done, says that this guy is far and away the best in NFL history, and it's not even close. Like the, a lot of kickers, the sort of year-on-year consistency and uh, sort of like the sample size you need to say are they really good or not is a lot more massive than one season. And Tucker is just all the way out on his own in terms of how much better he is than an average kicker. And gosh, six years yarder, like you don't win that game if, unless you have Justin Tucker. So, with watch, this is where we highlight a player that was high on our draft board in previous years that has not led or mm. lived up to those expectations. It's journeyman cornerback DeAndre Baker. Now we, journeyman. Now journeyman. He's been in the league three years, <laughs> and he's journeyman because he what he had got arrested for pulling a gun at a party, which classic uh and then (laughs) classic prank no and then obviously bounces around goes to kansas city and now is actually playing again kind of speaks to how dire kansas city's uh cornerback situation is but not playing well he was 16th on the pff draft board that year 31st overall or 32nd overall to the giants that year i can't exactly remember but man a big whiff some of those things are again off if you're pulling a gun at a party you're probably not making the best decisions in your day-to-day life to be the guy like that that's just becomes <laughs> comes back to your pre-draft homework that you got to do on a guy uh that we obviously don't have access to here yeah. at pff i mean i think the other part of the learning process for that one is just how physical he was at georgia and how much he relied on you know making contact both mm-hmm. at the line of scrimmage and late in the route getting away with a lot of late contact at georgia i think a lot of that 
maybe we underrated you know how much he leaned on that when he got you know translated obviously some of it was obviously off field as well well and also so when you're a physical quarterback and that's your play style you better be six foot one two ten he was 511 190 you know like you, you better if you are the guy who's trying to beat up cornerbacks at the college level you better have the sort of size and physical ability to continue to do so at the nfl but when that's your game but you are again like i said 190 pounds like deandre baker was coming out that's not gonna be your game against dk metcalf you know that's not gonna be your game against michael thomas guys who got 20 pounds on you 30 pounds in metcalf's case that's just not gonna fly you're not gonna be able to play that way and now it's nice to have that but when you're 190 pounds you better be running a 4-4 and you better be winning off athleticism first so whiff whiff DeAndre Baker whiff, breakout watch, Trayvon Diggs, Bang. big pick six in this one, read that speed out pretty nicely, Had the he has an interception in all three games so far this season, playing a lot better than last year, um, breaking out, so to speak. Yeah, he got a couple nice second-year corners. He was, uh, Trayvon Diggs, obviously we mentioned Jalen Johnson last week. Those guys were 24th, Jalen Johnson, and 31st on the PFF draft board, respectively, so dubs if we want to chalk up we're gonna go whip watch way too early to chalk up a dub especially early for that but i will say i mean three picks in three straight weeks and this wasn't like what was the game last year where you had two picks and they were there were some gimme picks one was like him getting toasted it might have been the eagles game actually last year one was him getting toasted and then he gets back in on it because of a terrible throw he also had that highly graded play where deandre mech not deandre mechcock dk mechcock caught that ball over him and then he popped it out which is still a nice no it's of course it's a highly speaks to his playmaking ability that he has, you know, shown all the way back to Alabama. But I think this year, those are real. Like, this was a real pick. That pick six was him, key and three-step, breaking on it before the ball. I mean, he broke on it before Devontae Smith even broke off his route. He just – that is what you want from a cornerback at that position. And then how obviously has the length of ball skills hauled in and pick it for six. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that he's taking a meaningful next step in his career. Last segment of the Wednesday sewed here before we get to the Aiden Hutchinson interview. First round lock. Ah. This one's a crazy one because you're naming a first round lock every week until the end of the season. Yeah. Who are the locks you've already named and who is our next lock here? Locks are already named. We had Kayvon Thibodeau start the year. We went to Derek Stingley, Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton last week. We got five. And this one, we're starting to get hairy. I, I debated a few guys. I debated Garrett Wilson because I do think, you know, after a monster game this year with his athleticism, but the wide receiver position, I think teams have sort of cooled on first round. Like, you, you or at least teams still worry about going first round. So I, I'm not willing to necessarily say lock just yet. I'll go to the edge position where it's easy to tell the guys who are those high-end athletes. That's why I went Aiden Hutchinson last uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm going to Marvin Leal this week, the Texas A&M guy that we've talked about a lot in the show because every game he's shown up, no real duds in there. Uh, obviously, at his size, moves differently than your run-of-the-mill 290-pounder. That's why he can even play out on the edge. I just think when you're that physically gifted and you're that productive, it's a good combination to go in the first round. I'm all in. I like it. So I think we got six now. DeVarvin Leal, your sixth first-round lock. It's too, almost too freakishly, you know, that the size athleticism ratio, I think, was just going to drive him. If you let that guy fall to the second round, I mean, he's just too rare. Yeah. Too rare of a human being. Way too rare of a human being. All right, let's go ahead and jump now to the interview with Michigan Edge, top five player on PFF's draft board, Aiden Hutchinson. 
Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Michigan edge defender Aiden Hutchinson, a top five edge or top five player overall in the 2022 NFL Draft. We really appreciate you coming on the show, Aiden. This is fantastic. Thanks for having me, Austin. Um, I'm glad to be on here. Before we get into you know the dominance you've showed this season, I want to turn back the clocks a little bit and talk about you know your your high school stardom, then going on as a four star recruit to commit to Michigan uh, to Michigan. Uh, what positions did you play in high school? Did you play on both sides of the ball? I know you're a four star recruit coming out, but what positions did you play? So when I was a little bit younger in high school, I was really playing offensive line, defensive line, you know, the standard thing. And then when I got a little older, uh, I played tight end and, and, and defensive line when I finally uh, kind of grew into my body a little bit, became less gangly. And, um, yeah, it was uh, it was so much fun playing tight end. It's uh, Yeah, if I wasn't playing defensive end, I think that would be, uh, it'd be my, my secondary position is tight end. I love catching. I love uh, blocking. Blocking's all right when, when you pancake them. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – high school was a, uh, it was a really good time and, um, you know, got, got lucky enough to get offered by Michigan and now – four years into 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 my uh my career here and i know you, you know, just why doesn't has michigan ever thought about maybe getting you involved on the offensive side of the ball i mean they got to get you some packages here if you play tight end in high school i know i know i keep telling them every week i go up to um you know coach gaddis i say coach come on put me on the goal line like get, get me a touchdown something like that or, or i'll just throw a block whatever you want me to do but um, you know, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really trying to get on that on that side of the ball, whether that be smacking someone, um, catching a tud, whatever that may be. And so I know you committed to Michigan. You had offers from other places, so LSU, Wisconsin, Pittsburgh. Where the, was it ever a doubt that you were going to commit to Michigan? I know your dad, Chris, was a huge Michigan player. Were you just locked into Michigan from the start? Yeah, I, I visited a couple other colleges, but I mean, mainly it was Michigan. It was Michigan from the start. I mean. My whole family went here. Um, my sister just graduated from here. I mean, it's like my parents met here. <laughs> so really, um, the stars were aligned. And um, if I didn't go to Michigan, it'd be I'd be a disappointment to my father and my and my mom probably. <laughs> I can't imagine if you committed to like Wisconsin. I know Michigan State offered you as well. That would have been oh, yeah, rough. Sure. I'm sure uh, Chris would not have been a huge fan of that. I want to talk a, a little bit about a former teammate of yours, a guy who's now currently playing for the Indianapolis Colts, first round pick, Quiddy Pay. Had him on this show. Such a humble dude. A guy that what went to high school, played at running back in Rhode Island, got recruited to Michigan, and didn't developed every single felt like every week at Michigan into the star he is now what kind of impact did Quiddy have on you in the time that you spent with him yeah me and Quiddy really uh really came up together it felt like because when I came in I was a freshman and um, we were both behind Chase and Rashawn so we were kind of the twos behind uh, Chase Wittovich and Rashawn Gary and um you know ever since my freshman year kind of all the way up until my junior year we were we were playing together side by side and we really a bond together and um I really had so much fun playing with him and um you know just just being able to to play on the opposite uh, side of the ball of someone who is so dominant um it just makes your job so much easier and you know if the offense isn't chipping both the ends then some, someone's bound to get home so um I mean it, it was it was really uh um so cool you know being able to play with him and, and really kind of growing up with him in my in my Michigan career 
Talk about another guy who could probably play both sides of the ball. I wish Michigan put him on offense, man. That guy would have right. been had some success. <laughs> um, yeah. Looking at some of your, you know, Quiddy Pay, ton of, you know, really athletic, you know, have what, that absurd, like 6'3", three, three cone. You also put up some really impressive numbers this offseason, according to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, 6'5", 4'3", cone, 4'6", 407 shuttle. How much do you feel your athleticism has improved over the course of your career at Michigan, or is this just God-given talent? Because some of these numbers are just absurd. Yeah, I think um, kind of I came in when I was 17 years old, so I was super young. Mm-hmm. My body was a little bit underdeveloped. Um, and, and I think just being here, training here, I mean, uh, I, I've gotten so much faster and stronger and so much more agile, you know, laterally, too. So, um, I mean, that's a, a props to our strength coaches. And then I think that's really just my my body just developing. I and mean, I just turned 21. So I'm getting to be that at that peak performance age. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I really, uh, you know, worked hard to develop myself. That peak performance age is showing up this season. I'll say that. So when you got to Michigan at 17, I know you're currently listed at six foot six, two sixty five. What was your height and weight when you first got to Michigan? Yeah, I was about two sixty coming into Michigan, but oh, wow. with the defense, yeah, with the defense we were running back in the day, um, it, they, they wanted me to be heavier. So I was probably about two seventy five two. 280-ish um, for my kind of my freshman year, my sophomore year. And um, it, man, that that carrying the extra weight is not is not too fun. And then kind of my junior year and my senior year, they, uh, I kind of I cut a little weight. So I've been playing at about 260, 265-ish um, these past couple of years. And it's been it's been amazing. I think where that shows up, man, and what, what I've seen on your tape is the backside of runs. You have had so many plays on the backside of runs this year, just exploding off the backside and making tackles either behind the line of scrimmage or near it. It has been absolutely fun to watch. Are there any players, NFL players, maybe outside of Quiddy Pay, that you turn the tape on and, and, and try and take some from their game? I know there's obvious ones like Mac and Miles Garrett, but are there any players specifically that you turn on and, and try and take some of their, uh, take some of their game for you? Yeah, I watch a ton of NFL players. It's probably my favorite film to watch right now just because um, I just like seeing what they do, and it gives me some some extra ideas in my head. And, um, you know, kind of guys like Miles Garrett, um, Max Crosby, the Bosa brothers. Um, trying to think who else. It's really – I really just look at the <clears throat> the top guys who are, who are elite, and it's really fun to watch them. And, um, you know, it's uh, I, I really use that and try to – take little little nuggets and, and implement it into my game. Max Crosby has been especially fantastic this season. I think he leads the oh, NFL yeah. in total crisis. It's just absurd. Uh, another guy that went, uh, just really added to his frame when he got to Las Vegas, and he has a ton of speed, a ton of length. That's showing up big time in the NFL. Uh, Blake Corum and Cade McNamara have been so massively successful to start this season. What's it been like going against those two in practice, and how impressed, I guess, have you been with their development over the kind of the short start of this season? Yeah, for sure. First, I'll start with Blake. I mean, I mean, the, the kid came in like absolutely developed. <laughs> um, I mean, just big ass biceps, big legs, um, fast as hell. Uh, yeah, he came in just a freak and um, he really worked to, to develop himself more this offseason. And it's really I think all his hard work is really paying off this season. He's having a hell of a year. And then Cade. Um, I, yeah, Cade's super just annoying to go against in practice because I think he's he's just a very smart and intuitive player, and um, you know he uses those those tools to his advantage. 
And uh, I think at quarterback, that's the most important thing. You know, you can have the athletic quarterbacks, the big ones, whatever that may be. But if you don't have that, you know, kind of that Tom Brady intuition or, or you know, kind of the smarts with the game, um, it's going to be hard to succeed now and especially at that next level. No, I would agree with you 100%. I think the smarts are probably the biggest thing. The instincts, the play recognition, right. all that stuff is what shows up for McNamara so far this year. Uh, I wanted to focus in a little bit on a, on a specific matchup you've had this year. It was one of the bigger ones. Jackson Kirkland, Washington left tackle you went up against and had a really successful game against him in addition to all the other games you've had. Going into that game, talk me through kind of the preparation. And I'm sure maybe it didn't differ from what you do with other offensive tackles, but what did you see on tape from him specifically going into that game? And I guess, how did that help you when it, when you went, when all said and done? Yeah, I really watched a lot of tape on him, uh, kind of formulated my rush plan previously. And, um, you know, I, I know my ability and I know how good I am. And um, I'm just super confident against anyone in the country. You know, it doesn't matter who they are. So, um, I'm really just going against nameless faces. That's that's all it is because, uh, you know, I'm super confident in my ability and kind of what I bring to, to the table. Um, you know, I think I got a, I have just a great combination of both speed and power on the edge. It's something that, you know, it's 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 hard to find. And, um, you know, I just uh, I really just I go against nameless faces every week. So. If I could pry a little bit there, talk to me a little bit more about, you know, your pass rush plan and how you set that up. What do you, you know, what pieces do you pull from the film and put together in your plan? Are you taking notes? Are you, you putting these things into an Excel? I've heard it all. What, what, what exactly are you doing? Yeah, I just watch a ton of film on my iPad. I got this little journal and um, really I'm just consistently writing it, visualizing what, what I'm doing against, what I'm going to do against these guys. And, um, and really that's the biggest piece of it for me is just sitting there closing my eyes. And if I can see it in here, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to do it out there. So far, I'm going to bring it out a little bit. This Michigan defense, top 10 defense and scoring drive percentage allowed so far this year have been fantastic in the power five. What do you feel are some of the biggest contributing factors to the success on the defense side of the ball for Michigan out, maybe outside of yourself dominating already on the edge? Yeah, Coach McDonald came in here. And, um, you know, gave us a great scheme, um, great plays, but, um, you know, no plays really matter unless, you know, guys are invested in it or invested in the culture you got going on. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a tribute to, uh, you know, the hard work that we were putting in this off season, just guys investing in what we're doing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's paying off, uh, you know, right now we're four and um, I think we're, we're really good in the red zone right now. I mean, our defense bends a little bit, but, but we, but we never break. And, um, you know, it's, it's really fun to turn that tape and watch us fly around. Um, you know, that's what you want as a fast defense. I think we're getting there. We're really improving so much every single week. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, by, by week 10, 11, 12, I mean, we're, we should be, uh, you know, flying around and, and really just trying to chase perfection. From the outside looking in, both on the offense side of the ball and the defense side of the ball, it feels like this team, this Michigan team specifically, is playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, maybe a bit disrespected by the preseason AP poll, not ranked inside the top 25, underdogs in a handful of games. Do you feel that kind of chip on your shoulder energy in practice and in meetings so far this season? Do you, are you guys kind of rallying around maybe some of this preseason disrespect? Yeah, yeah, that was one thing going into the season. That, uh, that we knew we had is that chip, you know, we, we weren't ranked. We didn't really care about it, but cause we knew how good we were. And, um, you know, now we're 14th in the country. 
And one thing we're trying to emphasize is we're not losing this chip on our shoulder. Um, you know, especially, uh, you know, we, we saw we saw the spread of this Wisconsin game. They, they're supposed to win by one and a half. And um, I, I mean, that chip is still there. Um, <laughs> you know, you look on Twitter, people are still bashing us. So, I mean, we are uh, we're coming for everything and we're not out to prove anything to anyone. We're just proving it all to ourselves because we know how good we are. We know how good we can be. We just got to go out there and execute and um, get the job done. That's such an interesting component of today's game that I think is under discussed because so many you know college players, college teams say, oh, we don't look at that. We don't look at the internet. We don't look at spreads, all that stuff. But I mean, it shows up, you know, and I'm glad you admit like, hey, we did see the spread. We don't, we do know we weren't ranked in the bidding, you know, preseason. Now we're 14th. How do you, I know, because I don't think blocking it out is all that possible. How do you maintain or I guess adjust to all of this internet fodder that happens on Twitter and all and so forth? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's hard to, especially if you don't delete your social media, I mean, you're going to see it. And, and mm -hmm. if guys tell you they don't see it, then and they do have social media, then, then they're lying to you mm -hmm. um, because that, that's, it shows up right there. But really, I, I just don't put a lot of weight into it. You know, you see it, it adds a little fuel to the fire, but at, at the end of the day, you're not playing for Las Vegas sports book or you're not playing for uh, people who make AP top 25 poll, like the numbers don't really matter to matter to us because, um, you know, like I said, we know what we got, we know our, our, our talent that we got, um, you know, as long as we execute, we're going to, we're going to keep on winning ball games. And so that's what we plan to do. Last one for you, Aiden, I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time preview the university of Wisconsin for me. I know you've already turned on the tape. What are your early impressions of this offense and maybe specifically this offensive line? Yeah, they, they are, they're, they're a great team. Um, obviously they're one and two, the record really doesn't show for it too much, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a physical game in, in Madison, you know, um, really for our team, if, if we, uh, if we stop the run, I think that's, that's when we're going to see a lot of success, but first, you know, we got to stop that run and, uh, just be really stout up front. And, um, I think we'll have a lot of success. Aiden, this was a fantastic interview. I wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season, specifically at Wisconsin. Thanks again for the show. All right, thanks, Austin. That's going to do it. Jam-packed show, 2022 draft board, CFB Week 4 review. The next show, a little mailbag, a little trivia. We're also going to preview every NFL game and give some prospect primers. Make sure you tune into that. Also follow PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, tailgate. Oh,